the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. From every mountainside, let freedom ring, and if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. So let freedom ring. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Here's your host, Bob France. And a good morning to you. Thanks for joining us. Are you ready to go? You better be. It's a big day. It is 10 minutes after the hour of 9 o'clock on this Tuesday, the ninth morning of the fifth month of the year of our Lord, 2023. And we're going to start the day with some potential good news. This was shared to me or with me and to others by Chris Long, the president of the... um, uh, of the Ohio Christian Alliance, it is a note from Chris that says, State House News is reporting that the Rules Committee has put the 60% Constitution Amendment increase on the agenda. It is urgent that we call our state representatives and tell them to vote for the 60% Constitution Amendment uh, increase and to vote for the amendment to have it on the August ballot. So this is good news. As you know, we're up against a deadline here. Literally, tomorrow is the deadline. This was uh, this was announced by the Secretary of State uh, a while back. This proposed amendment that would require 60% to amend Ohio's Constitution Hopefully by August or in August for the special election in order to potentially stop a devastating, devastating uh, 
ballot initiative that would come forth in uh, November if they get all of these signatures, and they will get the signatures because they lie and they cheat to get signatures. So it's going to be there. And uh, anyway, any proposed amendment that would uh, would require this faces a May 10th deadline, according to the Secretary of State, Secretary of State Frank LaRose. He sent Jason Stevens, the trans-dem who stole the gavel uh, in the Ohio State House, and Senate President Matt Huffman a letter back in April detailing why he supports a special election for this issue and this Wednesday, meaning tomorrow's deadline to meet legal requirements and allow counties to prepare for an August 8th special election is key. Quote, according to the Secretary of State, Frank LaRose, if the General Assembly wishes to proceed with an August election, the first Tuesday after the first Monday in August is the latest that a statewide election can be held without statutorily altering the election calendar for the upcoming November election. And of course, the House needs to be in session. They need to get this done before the end of business tomorrow. And leadership had not, as of now anyway, published an agenda until we just got this, at least this note from Chris Long. So two things to explain here. Number one, Chris Long will join us to tell us more about what this means in about 30 minutes, 25 minutes at about 9.35. So I'm looking forward to that so we can hear more what he has to say, has to say about what he learned. But then even more importantly, the uh, the um, Secretary of State, Frank LaRose, is scheduled to be with us today as well. So this really, really works out nicely for us. We've been trying to get Frank LaRose on to talk about closed primaries for a little bit now. He's a very busy guy right now. We've been trying to talk about closed primaries, uh, which he supports, and I do as well. And uh, we certainly want to talk about this, about the potential of the special election. So it just times up for us, thank goodness, that we do have Frank LaRose coming on today. That won't be until 11.10, but I hope you're here for that. Stick around throughout the the program uh, to hear from the Secretary of State about those two huge, important issues. Of course, as it is Tuesday, in between, we're going to have our good friend Peter Kirsten now coming up at 10.10. So uh, we've got Chris Long, Pastor Chris Long of the Ohio Christian Alliance, at 9.35, Kersenau at 10.10, then the Secretary of State, Frank LaRose, at 11.10. And these are all obviously very, very important conversations that we're going to hold. And I welcome you to be a part of them, too, at 216-901-0945 or 888-281-1110. Either one of those will do just as well as the other. All right, now, before we get started with our top news of the day, even though I kind of think we just did, what do you say we go ahead and stand? And start our show with a pledge of allegiance. Pay, face your flag. Put your hand on your heart and join us. If you are a believer in letting outside special interest groups, particularly special interest groups that specialize as a death cult, to change Ohio's constitution and allow tens of thousands of babies to be killed every every year without reason up until the moment of birth, if you believe in any of that, then you don't believe in the right to life. And if you don't believe in the right to life, then you don't believe in the Constitution. If you don't believe in the Constitution, then you don't believe in the flag. So why why pledge your allegiance to it? You are invited to go take a knee over there while the rest of us do our jobs and support uh, this country and its representation. So you have a knee next to the ex-quarterback over there while the rest of us stand and say, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands one nation under god indivisible with liberty and justice for all 
So that is the good news to start our day, uh, to the to the to the extent that it is, and we have to find out how accurate it is. We have to find out whether or not they follow through and vote for it this way. Uh, we'll see, but it is good news that at least they are moving forward potentially. So we'll talk to Chris about that. Now to some of the bad news of the day, uh, which of course you can expect with tomorrow's ending of, or excuse me, Thursday's ending of. Uh, uh, Title 42, which is going to allow and, in fact, has already. This is extraordinary. It really, really is extraordinary. I want to read some numbers to you briefly because these are um, these are quite staggering to let you know exactly what kind of invasion that we are indeed dealing with. It is nothing short of an invasion. Do not let anybody tell you otherwise. We are being invaded. So let me, let me share a little bit of... Um, uh, Biden's America with you. These numbers were literally just reported today, uh, so they are about as accurate as it can be. Um, here we are. In the past 72 hours, Border Patrol reports 26,382 migrant apprehensions. That's in a 72-hour span. I'm going to stop there and let that sink in. 26,382 in three days. I also do not want you to be fooled by the word apprehensions. It doesn't mean they caught them and turned them around and sent them back. They didn't because they catch them, and then they make them promise to come back for an asylum hearing someday, four to seven to eight years from now, and then they turn them loose to be processed and to go wherever in the United States it is that they can catch a bus or a ride to. So apprehensions does not mean we caught them, therefore we turned them back. No, just the opposite. But this is an average of 8,794 per day in that three-day period, easily the highest daily average reported. According to Border Chief Raul Ortiz, here are some of the other numbers that you should know. 26,382 apprehensions in three days doesn't count the 7,399 approximate gotaways. The gotaways, the ones that Border Patrol pursued but could not catch, those are the ones who obviously are the most dangerous because the people that are apprehended and allowed to go free into the United States in the catch and release program that Joe Biden put in place those individuals are at least searched, are at least, um, again, processed in a manner of speaking, questioned by Border Patrol and, and other authorities. The gotaways don't want to be questioned, don't want to be searched, don't want to have any scrutiny placed upon them whatsoever. Why? Because they're the ones who are doing some really, really bad blank. That's why. What are they bringing in? What are they smuggling? What type of organization are they part of? So let's continue. 26,382 apprehensions, 7,400, we'll call it because it's 7,399, 7,400 uh, approximate gotaways. So that adds that, you know, let's, let's update the tote board there. So that brings us up to around 33,700 in three days. They also, in that three-day span, um, found and confiscated 164 pounds of marijuana, 83 pounds of methamphetamines, 66 pounds of cocaine, 11 pounds of lethal fentanyl, 5 pounds of heroin, $12,200 in cash, one firearm, three sex offenders, 
one wanted felon, and one gang member. That's in just three days. Now, we don't know if that is the new normal and see what the next three days hold or if this is some sort of an aberration. But indications are, given the number of people that have crossed illegally over the course of the last two and a half years of the Biden administration, over 5 million You can go ahead and assume that that's not an aberration, that's not an outlier, that's not a one-off, that's reality. This is Joe Biden's Amexica. You heard me right. One letter change from America to Amexica. And it is happening. Now, if you thought that was astounding and disturbing, and you should you will find this astounding and disturbing as well. Now, this clip came from Fox News. My apologies in advance. I am no more of a fan of Fox since they got rid of Tucker Carlson as you are. But this is an important report from Griff Jenkins. Listen. Telegraphing a punch. I learned of an operation which was confidential over the weekend at the border and notified our team in El Paso. And it was stunned last night to get a press release announcing it. Take a look. I'm going to read this part of the screen because uh, that audio is a little low, so apologies for that. But Griff Jenkins, uh, uh, reading this message from the Department of Homeland Security, quote, this, is a, this was a press release, by the way, a press release put out by Alejandra Mayorkas' Department of Homeland Security. Quote, CBP agents will conduct a targeted enforcement operation in El Paso, Texas. Immigration enforcement agents will process individuals for vetting and placement into the Title 42 expulsion or the Title 8 removal proceedings as applicable. Non-citizens who pose a threat to national security or public safety will be transferred to ICE for detention. Now, if you're thinking to yourself, wait a minute, what does that mean? Well, here's what that means. They literally told the criminals, if you're crossing, don't cross in El Paso. That's where we're going to come and get you. Those are the, that's the one place right now where if we catch you with certain substances or if we catch you uh, and we believe you're a threat, we will transfer you to ICE for deportation, for detention and possible deportation, which brought this response from the Border Patrol Union. And the Border Patrol Union, of course, uh, led by Chief Raul Ortiz, is livid. Quote, nothing like publicly announcing that dangerous people will be arrested while warning them ahead of time exactly where to run and hide to avoid the arrest. An entire population, or excuse me, this entire operation is a sad joke, another pandering PR stunt. Serious law enforcement leaders don't behave this way. So when I say it's Joe Biden's in Mexico and not America, you understand what I mean. This is just a full-on planned and carefully executed invasion by way of Mexico. It doesn't mean that they're all Mexican crossers, as we know. I believe that the number I heard most recently was around 150 countries have been represented in at least having one border crosser that has been apprehended and released as they claimed asylum. Did you know that 150 countries around the world right now were all persecuting their their uh, their citizens? They were all persecuting them for one reason or another, and they needed to flee for their lives to get asylum. And what a coincidence, the only place that they could find asylum where nobody would come after them 
would be the United States. What a, what a crazy uh, coincidence that is. 150 countries represented so far. So this is what I, and, but they all come up through Mexico, and this is what I mean. And that you shouldn't say all. There is another aspect of this we haven't paid a lot of attention to, but it should be uh, mentioned, and it certainly should be watched, and that is our northern border. We are starting to see a massive pickup in uh, border crossings up on our Canadian border or our border with the Canadians as well. So that's a big deal. But the overwhelming number, obviously, just continue to pour through uh, the uh, the southern border, mostly in Texas and Arizona, uh, some in New Mexico and some in California as well. But we know what is going on here, and we know exactly why it's going on. This is exactly what Joe Biden's plan is, and he's carrying it out to the letter. And uh, now, with Title 42 ending tomorrow, or excuse me, Thursday, it only gets worse. We're going to talk about that with Kirstenau and a lot more, too. That'll be at 1010 this morning. We'll take a time out here at 925. Chris Long, president of the Ohio Christian Alliance, will be with me at 935. Stay here on Always Right Radio. Welcome back, indeed. It is uh, 9.34, so I, uh, I've i got, uh, like I said, really, really great news this morning. Potentially great news. I really have to couch this because nothing has been done yet. We're talking about scheduling a, vo- a vote, putting something on the agenda, but it is not yet decided. Statehouse News is reporting that rules the Rules Committee has put the 60% Constitution Amendment increase on the agenda, according to a message from Chris Long of the Ohio Christian Alliance. Chris will join me in a second. Uh, but first, I do have Sarah uh, um, uh, Fowler-Arthur on the line with us. She is a representative of District 99, and she wanted to speak on something that I think we talked about on this program yesterday. Uh, representative Fowler-Arthur, good morning. Good to have you. How are you? I'm good. Thank you, Bob, for letting me come on this morning. I appreciate it. My pleasure. What? Uh, so, what can I? What can we do for you? Yeah, I just was wanting to set the record straight because I had heard uh, my name get mentioned yesterday on the list of folks that were not supporting the sixty percent initiative, and uh, I wanted to let you and your listeners know that I had signed the discharge petition two or three weeks ago. Um, which would have brought it immediately to the House floor if we had had 50 votes. And I also uh, signed the Ohio Right to Life petition uh, two weeks ago as well. So I am uh, behind the initiative and hoping that we will have this so that it can get corrected. But I wanted to let you know, uh, I'm not sure how I ended up on the list, but I did sign both of those documents. I'm very glad to hear that, and I have to tell you, I did a double take when I saw your name on this list, and I actually said it out loud. I said, wow, very surprised to see your name on this. Now, I should also be clear. First of all, this list came from a press release from Ohio Right to Life. That's who sent this out, and it's interesting. They they don't actually say these individuals um are not supportive at this point of of uh the uh you know the the agenda item uh, it just says please email these state representatives today and respectfully ask for their support for all ohioans born and unborn and then it listed a a, a host of them Patton Loychik, Pavliga, Calendar, Holmes, Edwards, Ganbari, Loray, Jones, Hillier, Stevens, Ray, Olslager, Cross and Sarah Fowler Arthur so 
I don't know. Have you had a lot of contact with Ohio Right to Life? I don't know exactly why they felt like we need they needed to include your name on a list of people that we need to reach out to to get them to support this. Yeah, I did talk to Ohio Right to Life, and um, I'm hoping that they will be correcting this as well. I'm not 100% sure, um, again, why I ended up on the list. There are two Sarahs in the legislature. I mm-hmm. don't know if there was a, a mistake on the last names or uh, if there was some other rationale, but um, I did sign both of those documents and have been uh, advocating that if we are going to put a 60% initiative on the ballot, it needs to happen prior to the November election. I personally wish we would have been a little bit more proactive on this prior to the November election last year, because as we know, August turnouts are usually very dismal, and I am concerned that uh, voters need to not expect that this is going to be the end-all, be-all, Mm-hmm. Assuming we get it on the ballot as a legislature, my biggest concern is that we do not give up on the uh, follow-through for any issues of concern that may be on the November ballot. Yeah, no, I, I completely concur. As a matter of fact, I also feel like it could have been handled uh, last week. It should have been on the May election ballot um, if uh, if they had done their jobs. When I say they, I kind of mean you, your body. You know, if the House uh, leadership had done its job on January 3rd and gotten the agenda uh, passed and gotten the rules passed and so forth, we could have gotten to work and gotten this done in time for, for May, which might have been a little bit better. Um, but, Sarah, I'm so glad you did the right thing here and called and told me, and I hope you t- I'm glad you called the Ohio Right to Life and anybody else else that has included your name on this suggesting perhaps that you don't support the special election and uh on the 60 percent threshold i'm glad you did this because like i said i was surprised to see your name uh all of my interactions with you in the past, uh, not to mention just covering you and, and reading your, you know, your commentary and your work that you're doing, uh, certainly indicates that you would be in favor of the special election and you would be in favor of that 60% threshold to protect life, um, when they try to take it quite literally this, this November. So I'm really, really glad you called and I'll do my part to make sure people know you're not on that list. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Bob. And thank you to all of your listeners. And I do appreciate all the calls they've gotten and, uh, even though I didn't feel I should be on the list, I appreciate the support uh, knowing that so many people want the opportunity to vote on this issue before yeah, I appreciate that, too, and I'm really glad that you are uh, being very outspoken in your, uh, in your support of this. Sarah, thank you so much. I hope to talk to you again soon. Thank you. Bye-bye. Sarah Fowler-Arthur, District Representative uh, for District 99, and uh, her name, I, I did, I did, I literally said as I read through this list here, I said, Sarah Fowler-Arthur, I'm very surprised to see your name on here, and then I continued with the names, and obviously, uh, as what Sarah is saying right now, considering she signed the discharge petition, that was an error. That was an error somewhere along the line by the folks putting this out on behalf of Ohio Right to Life. Okay, let's uh, move on now, as promised, to uh, Chris Long. Pastor Chris Long is the president of the Ohio Christian Alliance. He's the one who sent me a note this morning, and I guess to several others, because people forwarded it to me, saying, look what Chris Long just put out. Chris, good morning. How are you, sir? Good morning, Bob. Good to be with you. So, Pastor Long, tell us, State House News says that the Rules Committee has put the 60% Constitution Amendment increase on the agenda. Um, are they naming any sources to, to indicate that this is very reliable, sir? Well, yeah, that was in the Hannah News uh, report. We get that from the State House, and that came out first thing this morning. Mm-hmm. There's two uh, news agencies, Hannah, Re- Hannah News and Gongwer, and so they're the official reporting agencies out of the state house as well as the state house news bureau it's like the npr segment 
which is interesting sometimes because I'll listen to some of their stuff, even though they're liberal. Uh, we do get information that way of some of the things that they've covered. But all Definitely. that to say, uh, yes, uh, so the Rules Committee did set it, the agenda for Wednesday. It will be on the floor. Now, two things need to happen. The 60% threshold constitutional amendment increase has to be passed by 60 votes. Uh, and then also, the uh, by 50 votes, we need a con- uh, this to be put on the August ballot. Now, what's happening? Well, the majority of the votes are there. We're not there yet. So this is great news that's going to be on the agenda, because that was the whole call to action, was to get Speaker Stevens to put this on the agenda. Well, it appears that he's done that for tomorrow, okay? But there's still, as you mentioned, a list, and Sarah is definitely not one of them. I can attest that I saw her name on the discharge petition in person a couple weeks ago when I went in to review it. And I spoke to her that day, and she signed the Ohio Right to Life pledge as well. So she's with us on this issue. Uh, I think it's interesting, though, to hear one of the representatives said, hey, I got lots of calls, which is good. And I want to say thank you to all the listeners who have been making calls and emails and the calls to action I know sometimes you're saying, oh, man, do we have to call again? Hey, thank you for doing that. Thank you for picking up the phone. Thank you for sending the email. And it does make a huge difference, as you could hear what Sarah said. And it's true of those representatives that don't want to vote for this thing. They're getting hundreds of calls, if not thousands, and emails into their offices. So I want to say thank you so much to all the listeners of the Bob France Show for your action on this as well. So thank you. So the credit goes to you. Yeah. First of all, that's very kind of you to say, and I'm glad to hear that it makes a huge difference. Explain that further, though, because I'm picturing, uh, you know, a, a voicemail uh, someplace that is set up in an office and an email uh, that is set up in an office for each of these representatives, and I'm saying, you know, they start listening to them, or one of their staffers or interns starts listening to them, and they go to the uh, the, the the representative and say, "Yeah, you got a bunch of calls on uh, people who don't want you to do this or who do want you to do that." I, I, okay, delete them. Uh, because I'm not responding to them. I'm not going to call them back. I don't have to talk to these people face-to-face, uh, delete them. I, I wonder, when you say it does make a big difference, how we know that they actually take these things seriously. Well, that's right. And Well, they start taking a toll of those who are for the 60% constitutional amendment increase and then those calls that are against from the political left right now. And they do have uh, their advocacy groups that are calling and emailing as well. So they're... they're, they're uh, basically taking a tally of both, but also these representatives, they're looking at their district, and they'll say, well, the people in my district, uh, they want me to you know, support the 60% constitutional amendment increase, safeguarding Ohio's Constitution, and they also want this on the August ballot so it can preempt the November abortion terrible amendment that uh, we need to raise the, the percentage to 60% so Ohioans aren't fooled into something that would be disastrous for our state, right? So the, their really thoughtful uh, discussion has gone on down at the state house, and the pressure and the advocacy has worked to what we can tell at this point. Now, there's still a few hangouts, okay? So you mentioned uh, Mr. Hilliard. Uh, you mentioned um, uh, John Cross. Um, you know, he said he doesn't want to vote for a uh, August primary. I also, also hear that Sharon Ray is waff, waffling on that. She's in Medina. Uh, she could use some calls right now urging her to vote for both the 60% constitutional amendment increase and to vote for this to be on the August ballot. Okay, so that's Sharon Ray out of Medina. So she doesn't get a pass on this. No, so, not at all. 
Yeah, and I, and from what I hear, a lot of Medina residents, you know, that's a that's a very conservative and pro life community, largely, uh, very upset, very angry with uh, with Sharon Ray being uh, being a holdout on this. So I agree with you; they have to make sure their voices are heard. Well, that's right. So this is all going to happen uh, on Wednesday. The calls. I would urge you then to call your state representative and urge them to support the sixty percent constitutional amendment increase and also support putting it on the August. A primary special election ballot. That's what you tell them. And, in, and that information is on our website at Ohio Christian Alliance. Just search that, Ohio Christian Alliance. Right at the top of the page, click on that uh, e, uh, icon that says State House News Reporting. And it will take you to the State House News, uh, excuse me, to the state representatives, and you can call them there. Also underneath is Contact My Representative. Click here. You can actually put your address in, and your representative will come up according to your address, and that will be more helpful as well. For people to, again, call and email your state representative because the vote, it will be on the vote, the floor tomorrow for a vote. And the question is, will everybody be there to vote for it? That needs to be. Yeah, and that's uh, that's extraordinary. That's a great point. That's extraordinarily important to make sure everybody is there uh, to vote on this because it seems like every vote matters. It shouldn't with sixty-seven, uh, you know, uh, Republicans in the state house. It shouldn't, uh, but it does. And uh, because of what happened, we all know the story there. So, so Chris, what would you say is the likelihood? I, I really worry about this coming down to the last minute with tomorrow being the deadline, according to the Secretary of State, to uh, to get this passed to get it on the August election or uh, a special election in August. Um, I worry that it's going to, you know, come and go tomorrow while they're still negotiating or while they're still deciding or while they're still trying to figure this out. Uh, what are you? What would you say the odds are? What is the likelihood that they get this vote tomorrow and on the House floor and it passes? Boy, you know I'm not a gambling man. <laughs> this will be a gentleman's wager then. <laughs> uh, I would say this uh, going into this week. We were very low expectation, like 35% that this would even get on the floor, okay? okay. Now that that's happened, uh, you know, prospects are better. So I would put us at better than 50-50 that we have a chance of this thing actually happening, meaning that the 60% threshold gets passed and that it will be on the August ballot. Now, folks, listen very carefully. As pro-life Ohioans, and we are a nation, a pro-life nation, uh, meaning in this state we're a lot of folks. Uh, we're, we make up probably one third of the Republican base. Okay, if they put if they pass the sixty percent threshold and wouldn't want to put it on the November ballot, no way we would oppose that. We're not going to watch them enshrine abortion into the co- state constitution, then shut the door on ourselves. We're not going to do that. What we need to do, and all the conservatives in the Chamber of Commerce need to all be on board with our interest in this thing as well okay so we have mutual interests here we may not like each other but we have mutual interest and what is that we want to see a 60 percent threshold of the constitutional amendment passed in the state of ohio we don't want to be those one of those eight states anymore that's just a 50 percent uh putting something into our state constitution we want to get out of that but we also want to make sure that ohio's pro-life laws continue to be in effect. That means the heartbeat law. That means the parental rights notification. That means the ban on partial birth abortion and the 20-week abortion ban. All those pro-life laws that we worked on for 30 years, we don't want to see them wiped out in November and then close the door on ourselves, not being able to go back and fix that. So if they try that kind of chicanery tomorrow, Bob, we'll be watching very carefully. Chris, um, 
what would John Cross, you, you mentioned his name, and I've been talking about him as well, because he's been, I think, the most obstinate in this issue, is saying it should be done in March. It should be done in March. Then, you know, that's so we, we can go ahead and have this, uh, have this on the ballot in March. There'll be a higher turnout and so on and so forth. Um, what would that look like? If we don't get it in the special election I agree, in August, we certainly don't want it in November for all the reasons you said. Would March, March make it any better? No. In fact, at that point, see, again, uh, the pro-lifers, so let's play this out. Let's say that this doesn't happen tomorrow, the worst-case scenario. Let's say also that the court fails us with the mandamus action case that's currently at the court that could send them back to the ballot board, and then they would lose all their signatures and have to start again, probably miss the July 5th deadline. Let's say that fails us. And then we're looking at November. And this thing passes by 52. And by the way, you say, well, what, what's it look like? What's this abortion ballot look like in November? It probably passes by 52%. If we do, if, if things really work our way as pro-lifers, maybe we push it below 50% to 48%, and then it loses in November. Uh, it's a, probably a swing of about five or six percentage points in this thing, okay, uh, with two ideological groups going to the ballot in November. But... Mm-hmm. That said, uh, we want you know, we're not going to see we don't want to see the constitutional amendment increase placed in there until the pro-life issue is decided in this state. So I'll just make it very plain. That's how we see it. Until the resolve of saving unborn children's lives is resolved, we do not want to see uh, the constitutional amendment increase. And so we want to see the constitutional increase to 60% if we can prevent these people in November. Because what are they doing? They're, they're doing an end round the state legislature. They can't get their agenda passed. They can't convince enough of their fellow countrymen that representatives at the state house, 100 representatives in the House, 33 in the Senate, a governor's office, they can't convince those people to uh, push their ab- radical abortion agenda. Therefore, they're trying to exploit our state constitutional amendment process to put it in our constitution. We're talking to Pastor Chris Long, the president of the Ohio Christian Alliance, laying it out as clearly as anybody can, the importance of this, uh, to get this as a special election in August. Chris, um, take a second just to respond to those who oppose the entire idea of the amendment. Forget about the special election part, but if it, whenever it is, that it should be defeated, that we should not raise to 60%. The majority rule matters in Ohio. The Plain Dealer uh, is pointing out that uh, five former Ohio attorneys general and four former governors have all signed a letter or separate letters. I'm not 100% sure about that. To Frank LaRose, uh, the Secretary of State, condemning and and uh, and disagreeing with his call for a sixty percent, sixty percent constitutional amendment threshold. That's a lot of people. There, it's bipartisan. Some former Republican attorneys general and, and governors as well. So, what do you make of that? Uh, I would make an argument that Jim Petro was a Republican. Okay, <laughs> I would argue. Fair with enough. You. Fair enough. <laughs> okay. He's one of the names on that list. Betty Montgomery's name is on that list. Well. Too. Yeah, that's right. And so then you so, have Lee Fisher and you have, yep. the, you know, so, yeah, these are very moderate and liberal people who have signed this document, right, uh, to to say that we shouldn't increase it. You know, so, yeah, the political left always does this. Bravo to them. They get a few names on there, and then they just went ahead and got the folks. Again, 
Republicans that will always do what the Democrats want. That's who they have on there. And, you know, so what What was the governor's list? You want to name them? So it was Kasich and what? Um, Actually, I uh, couldn't find the list of all four governors. I did see all of the yeah. attorneys general. But, yeah. uh, but I, I figured Kasich was yeah, one of them. I think Paff was I on figured, there. Yeah. <laughs> and and uh, uh, probably. Uh, by the way, the current, you know, but that. They, the, what's past is prologue, as Dad used to say, and those people don't count anymore. Uh, the current governor is for what we're doing. That's right, and I'm sure Ted Strickland was on that too. Uh, would, would be right. part of that. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. But anyway, but you, but the current, and I'm surprised, by the way, quite frankly, because I, you probably know how I and a lot of other Ohio Republicans feel about Mike DeWine. I'm surprised he has been so uh, supportive of this. Uh, yeah, I know he's had, it's got a great for all of his negatives, for all of his, you know, uh, his draconian lockdowns and so on and so forth. He has always been pro-life, so that is a good thing that he is for this. But but I'm just kind of curious to see if the uh, the opinions of some of these former uh, state leaders in the state state elected offices hold any sway with Ohio voters? You know that 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 remains to be seen. I mean, obviously, I think it persuades people when they read a piece in the paper, like you're quoting the the uh, Cleveland dot com, yeah. and I think that persuades people on the impression, the first impression. Then they start looking at the details and they see all the people involved. Programs like this, calling for urgency for calls to action, hearing a state representative that came on before me saying, thank you for all your calls and emails. I hear you loud and clear. That tells people another story and saying, wait a second, I'm not so sure the paper's got it right. Yeah, I, I think the people want what we're talking about. Yep. I, I, I do, too, and I can only pray that it, that, that they're willing to uh, step up and make the phone calls you and I are talking about now to give us a chance to do that, and then that we turn out in bigger numbers in what is going to be a sparse turnout, almost guaranteed in a special August election, that we come out stronger than they do, uh, and that our uh, our passion for this is, uh, is what drives us to victory. So, Chris Long, thank you for the great news this morning that uh, this is, like you said, yesterday maybe 30-35% chance, today we're over 50% chance, so that's good news. We're uh, almost there now the work is still the work the work it's even harder now we've got to convince some of these individuals who are not signed on to uh, vote for this get that special election and then of course win in november as well chris long we'll stay in touch with you i know you've got your finger on the pulse of everything in that state house so thank you so much for the time thank you my friend god bless you god bless you as well chris that's pastor chris long he's phenomenal he really is he's all over it he's into uh, the uh, the the inner workings of the committees. I'll phrase it that way, as well as as much as anybody is. I mean that very seriously. He is very very dialed in and connected. So when he comes forward with something like this, take it seriously. Also take seriously uh, the encouragement that he just gave and that I just gave to call these representatives, particularly Sharon Ray, particularly people like John Cross. We've got to flip some of these individuals. We have to get them on board. This is not a matter of, well, it's okay, we'll win the next election. You don't understand, or maybe you don't understand how incredibly crucial this is that we have this in August and that we win. We'll be right back. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Welcome to Always Right Radio with Bob France on AM 1420. The answer. All 
Oh, there's that shift. You know what that means, don't you? You know when we go from the top of the hour music into this, that it signals one thing. It's Tuesday, and Tuesday is a Kersenau day on AM 1420, The Answer. Let's welcome our good friend Peter Kersenau, the longest-serving member of the in the history of the United States Commission on Civil Rights, a Cleveland attorney, a Cleveland legend, quite frankly, uh, a man who should have been drafted a few times over by the military, and uh, he is a best-selling author, a law professor, columnist, and so much more. Peter Kersenau, welcome, my friend. How are you, sir? Bob, uh, I could be doing better. It's been almost two weeks since the NFL draft. I'm still an unsigned free agent for all those NFL teams out there, especially the Browns. My goodness, you can get me at a cut-rate price. Uh, I just don't understand these people. <laughs> I don't either, my friend. Peter, we've got a lot, of, uh, a lot of important things to discuss. Great news. We are actually going to secure the southern border, Peter. Listen. Right now, as we're speaking, the Texas National Guard is loading Black Hawk helicopters and C-130s deploying specially trained National Guard members for the Texas Tactical Border Force. They will be deployed to hot spots along the border to intercept, to repel, and to turn back migrants who are trying to enter Texas illegally. What an amazing development this is. How about it? The Biden administration doing the right thing for... Wait, what? Hold on. Being told... (laughs) Being told that's not the Biden administration, that is Texas Governor Greg Abbott saying if the Biden administration won't do its job and protect the sovereignty of this country, he will at least do his job and protect the sovereignty of Texas. Your thoughts, Peter Kersenow, as we are two days away from an end to Title 42 and a full-on invasion of our country. Yeah, this is uh, simply anarchy. We have a dysfunctional government here, federal government, and several governments. I mean, I applaud what uh, Governor Abbott is doing, uh, and I don't want to you know, denigrate anything that they're doing at this point. It should have been a long time ago because we know that the Biden administration hasn't been doing anything about the border instead, except encouraging people to come and violate our sovereignty. But, um, you know, at least I'm not going to... Again, I'm, I'm not going to say anything about what he's doing. I appreciate the fact that they're finally putting something down there to repel, not simply just process. So I can't blame Texas. It's not really their responsibility, their initial responsibility. It's that of the federal government. And Biden has completely abdicated intentionally his responsibility to protect American sovereignty. And the ramifications are extraordinary, as we all know. The major media, the complicit, corrupt major media hasn't been covering it. You talk to some of your friends who are, you know, just not into news at all. They're going about their daily lives, as Americans should be allowed to do. Or you talk to leftists who watch MSNBC, CNN, ABC, NBC, who don't cover anything about it. They have no idea what's going on. But we are being inundated by at least, oh, whenever you hear the figures being recited by anybody, including Bill Malugin of Fox News, it's just a guess. And my guess would be, based on the fact that I've been involved in this for almost two decades now on the public policy level, is that when they give you a figure, you can almost double it and, and be fairly secure that that is the actual figure. They talk about gotaways. We have no idea who the gotaways are other than we may have seen them. A Border Patrol agent may have seen them flitting across the border and was not able to 
apprehend and process them. Those gotaways are extraordinarily troubling because they are people with criminal records. Many of them are terrorists. Give you a figure. I mean, I think I talked about this once before. I wrote an article about a year and a half ago about the number of terrorists coming across who are on the terror watch list. These are the folks who we already know are terrorists. In 2020, before Biden took over, when Trump was still in charge, we had three people on the terror watch list who were apprehended. In 2022, as of September 22, the last figure that we have, 78 came across. These are the people who are on the watch list. In other words, 40, I'm sorry, uh, 25 times more came across after Biden came into office than were coming across before. And those people aren't here, you know, to go to Disneyland. They're here to do us extraordinary harm. They're biding their time. They're doing whatever they need to do to collect uh, whatever, you know, resources they need, gather together and inflict harm on the American people. The Chinese nationals are coming across. This is extraordinary what's happening here. Full on our anarchy and I would say that uh, I, I bet you your listeners would be in favor of um, Governor DeWine sending National Guardsmen down there and resources down there. And every other state governor, red state governor, should do the same. And on top of that, if the Republicans were smart, I know, your, your, friend, your, <laughs> your audience is rolling their eyes. What they would do is, you know, they, they, they pull these, and they have to. They've got to do these publicity, quote-unquote, stunts. But the media is not going to cover it unless it's done in a very uh, high-profile and repeated basis. They should be camping out down on the border because we're losing our sovereignty. We're, we're just so um, lackadaisical about this. We have taken this as a given, and we don't understand that the consequences to the United States of America are dire, not just in terms of potential terrorism, not just in terms of the horrendous spike in crime. And you look at some of the statements I've written for the Civil Rights Commission on this, the data is extraordinary, the amount of crime that we are importing, the cost to Americans, both in terms of education infrastructure, medical infrastructure, just general infrastructure, is also extraordinary. We are talking about Mark Krikorian of the Center for Immigration Studies um, and Steve Camerata did a study, uh, I think it was last year, where they talked about the cost of this illegal immigration, just the cost of it. And they were doing it in probably a very um, understated fashion, but it was in the hundreds of billions of dollars. When you think about the costs in terms of education, we've got to educate because of Plyer versus Doe, the Supreme Court decision, with this, which says that, you know, we've got to educate everybody. Illegal immigrant kids come in and they burden Southwest and other school districts um, to the tune of billions and billions of dollars. You know, we are a very welcoming country. We're a generous country. We're a compassionate country. And we would process people who want to come to this country in an orderly fashion so that we can absorb them sanely. But what the Biden administration and the left is doing is overwhelming the system purposely for electoral advantage, and that's the least of their concerns, but it's also to implode the system so that the only thing that would rectify it is huge, big, overwhelming government, a government that would be, in in essence, completely socialistic. It's the only way of addressing the situation. So that's their long-term idea. It's plain for everybody to see, but they've already said it very forthrightly in Civil Rights Commission meetings. I mean, the, the folks who are the true believers, they don't care what you know. 
the politicians try to cover it up because they know they'd never be elected if we knew that that was the ultimate aim. But the activists, no, they're very forthright. Just ask them what their aim is. They hate the United States of America. It is similar to what Yuri Bezmenov, the KGB defector, said 40 years ago. I encourage everybody, if they can find it on YouTube, listen to or watch his interview, and what you are seeing right now is precisely what the KGB had planned a long time ago, and we're doing it to ourselves. We don't have to worry about the Soviet Union doing it to us. Peter Kersenau is our guest. Peter is with the United States Commission on Civil Rights. I opened the show today with the stats that Bill Malusian reported uh, this morning, I think it was, uh, from the Border Patrol, and this, these numbers come from Raul Ortiz. In the last 72 hours alone, 26,382 apprehensions, 7,400 approximate gotaways. Based on your first statement, those numbers are certainly low. Uh, but that they are astounding, as is this number. According to U.S. Border Patrol, uh, they there have been 1.5 million illegal crossings in this fiscal year alone. Fiscal year yeah. 2023, which doesn't end until what October, already 1.5 million uh, in this fiscal year alone. That's after 2.7 million in all of fiscal year 2022. So, Pete, I bring these numbers and this scale to you to ask you what the goal is and what the end game is. And before you answer, let me give you the answer of Rick Perry, former governor of Texas. We talked about Greg Abbott and also former energy secretary. He said very directly, you can be a little suspect here, and I don't mind if you are, but the point is, is this a plan? Is this the Biden administration basically being led by the old Obama administration? There are plenty of them still around calling the shots to dilute the American voting public so much with these people. I'm very suspicious they do have a plan, and the plan is let's see how many people we can come in here and dilute the American public down. I know there are some people saying, oh, that's not what's going on, but I'm about to believe that it is. Do you agree with Rick Perry, or what else is there? Uh, I, again, I don't want to denigrate Rick Perry. Uh, he's exactly right. But if you want to know what they're up to, I've said this before, if you want to know what the left is up to uh, in five years, come to a Civil Rights Commission hearing today. What the activists who control that that uh, person in the White House are up to. And, and I don't mean to say that in necessarily a, 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 you know, kind of denigrating fashion, but we know Biden's not in charge. I don't think that Biden could tell you what's going on at the border. He's, he doesn't go down there. He has no clue. He doesn't talk to Mayorkas. But the fact of the matter is that the activists around him are the kind of people, and not the kind, they are the people who have testified more before the Civil Rights Commission as long as 15 years ago about these things. We've had repeated hearings. And when we listen to those people, the people who have their hands on the levers of the immigration system, the people who are at INS, the the people who are in charge of the immigration policy, their effort is to do exactly what Perry said, but more than that. They want to implode the system, as I've indicated. Now, in the short term, they want a demographic change that will augur to the benefit of Democrats. There will be a slow roll with respect to that. It'll be, uh, it won't be violent necessarily. It won't be a cataclysmic implosion of the United States system. However they accomplish their objective, they're fine with it. But nonetheless, their ultimate objective is to change the United States of America. When you talk and when you listen to these people, and it's, this is not an overstatement. It is not an overstatement. You have to listen to what they say and believe them. They hate the United States of America with a passion. It is almost as if the United States, it's almost as if it was World War II, and they believe that the United States was Nazi Germany and needed to be defeated at all costs. They hate the United States, believe it's a racist uh, country, 
believe that its founding was racist, and they want to change it dramatically, not just the demographics. They want to change that. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. They want to change it for purposes of changing the demographics, in addition to changing the voting population to one more favorable to their socialist aim. But they want to change the structure of America to one that is a lot more like, say, a Soviet Union. We're getting that in colleges. We're getting that in a number of uh, blue states that people are trying to escape from because it always fails. But that's their ultimate effort, bringing enough people to do one of two things. And it doesn't matter which happens first, but that is change the voting population, number one. Number two is implode the system because it's completely overwhelmed. We can no longer handle it. Just take a look at, for example, and this is not necessarily apples to apples, but look at what happens when you don't have law enforcement. You've got all these prosecutors that let criminals out. So what happens is you have, like, you know, in the, the subway issue with respect to uh, Jordan Neely and the Marine, if, the, if uh, Alvin Bragg is not going to enforce the law, if criminals are going to be allowed to roam free and crime is rampant, people are going to take matters into their own hands. It's going to turn into virtual anarchy. There's going to be more requests for more police, more prosecution of innocent individuals, ordinary upstanding Americans. That's part of this entire process of imploding the entire system. Peter Kersenow laying it all out. Very well said. Pete, we'll take this as a timeout. We have a lot more to discuss. It's 1022. We'll come right now with us on AM 1420, The Answer. something you want to hear check out the always right radio podcast anytime at whkradio.com okay we continue on am 1420 the answer thanks so much for being with us want to shift gears now and talk a little bit about crime in america and more specifically let's talk about the new george floyd peter kersenow is jordan neely the new george floyd yeah, they're trying furiously to make him that. By the way, Johnny must be the engineer today, right? Because this music, bumper music, is phenomenal. <laughs> no, Johnny, Johnny's actually got some, t- some time off here. Uh, Josh Booth is, is pulling that. All off right, Josh. All right, give my compliments to Josh. That's there you perfect. Go. Yeah, Jordan Neely is, they're trying furiously to make him into the next George Floyd. Uh, everyone in America it regrets the fact that Jordan Neely uh, what happened to Jordan Neely, okay? But the fact that they're trying to make him into a martyr tells you how sick our society has become. The Marine who tried to restrain him, there is no doubt in the world he had no ill intent toward him trying to kill him or anything. And the people who are trying to say that are bozos, at, at bare minimum are bozos. And when I'm, only, I'm talking only about the politicians, too. They are trying to use this as another political wedge to advance their interests and their narrative and their agenda, all of which are intertwined. And when, uh, you know, I've done considerable research on the whole issue to the extent any facts are there. I think I, I have a pretty good handle on them. I suspect at some point the Civil Rights Commission is going to be handling something related to it. So I like to get boned up on these things. Mm-hmm. But it's despicable the way politicians and many in the media and on the left immediately come to certain conclusions about the uh, motivation of uh, the Marine, who, and I, I, I can't remember the Marine's name, uh, Daniel Perry, I think his name was. Uh, I think it was Daniel Penny. That's right, Daniel Penny. Uh, they're trying to turn him into a Klansman. Uh, this is what happens when, as we talked about in the previous second, this, a segment, the government 
abandons its initial responsibility of protecting the populace, the safety and welfare of the populace. Alvin Bragg has let people out onto the street who've been arrested 42 times, as Jordan Neely was, who've been engaged in uh, dangerous criminal activity. And what happens? If you don't have enough police presence or police are told to stand down or they're told that they're racist, so they better not enforce the law at all because the law is racist in its of itself. Mm-hmm. People have to then take matters into their own hands. And this Marine didn't just stand by as most of the subway riders did. And most people, frankly, try to look the other way. They don't want to be involved. They don't want to, you know, get, they don't want to end up where Daniel Perry is, frankly, right now. But that's what happens when government just completely abandons its initial responsibility. And the left and the media, but I repeat myself, they have been acting so irresponsibly is the least of their concerns. They are being doing, they're doing so despicably. They're trying to foment racial hatred, racial division for political reasons. You, and mean, you, when, mean by, you mean by use of the word lynching, which is what the first word that came out of the mouth of uh, Alexandria Damasio-Cortez in response to this? She said this black man was lynched on a New York subway. They're using these, these trigger words to do exactly what you're talking about, to rile and anger and antagonize and divide, uh, and it's being repeated. The real question is when you say they, who does they involve? I've got some answers to that. We're going to share on the other side of the news, Pete, and then I want you to break that down as we continue as well. We're going to talk more about the new George Floyd that they're trying desperately to create to foment more division in this country. That'll continue. Giving you reason in the age of unreason. Always right radio with Bob France. The answer. 1035 now. Let's continue our great conversation with the great Peter Kersenow, United States Civil Rights Commissioner, attorney, author, and more. So, Peter, the um, groups, when you talk about they that are trying to, uh, you know, advance this agenda by way of using Jordan Neely's death uh, and uh, demonizing Mike, uh, Daniel Penny, the Marine, um, let's talk about who they are. Vocal, which is Voices of Community Activists and Leaders in New York, is an organization that helped push, organize, and drive this protest that they just had uh, last Wednesday. They published a statement, again, using that language, saying he was lynched. This is an organization that has been funded by the likes of George Soros and Meta CEO Mark Zuckerberg. In other words, billionaires uh, funding radical groups to create more division, create more hatred, and to advance storylines and narratives that, quite frankly, are not supported by the facts at all, as you laid out very, very clearly. So it just it makes you kind of wonder, you know, you look at these these protests, you think it's just the outrage of the people rising up and and voicing their displeasure and so forth. This isn't organic. This isn't grassroots protesting or activism. These are being ordered. These uh, individuals are being mobilized and organized by multi-billionaires who have an agenda. And many of the institutions upon whom we've relied for so long and placed our trust in are part of it, too. Uh, it's truly extraordinary how institutions have been taken over by the left and are doing the bidding of the left. Uh, and to the extent they haven't been taken over, they've been cowed. They're afraid to say what is right. They're afraid to speak the truth. You look at all these media organizations. I'm not going to mention who they are. Your listeners know precisely who they are. And unfortunately, some that we thought our allies may not be anymore. But 
educational institutions, major corporations, media, the government, so many, you know, we, it wasn't that long ago that when you talked in this fashion the way I am now, and I was one of them who'd say, oh, this is a conspiracy theory, you know, this is just, you know, you're, you're a little off the wall here, too wacko. Uh, not so. They've revealed their two cru- true colors, possibly because now they do control virtually everything, and they don't care. It's like Hunter Biden doesn't care because he knows that everybody who's in a position of power is going to protect him and insulate him. It's that kind of thing. But you have what's going on in New York is happening with respect to almost every major city and even outlying places, too, where they have allowed the infrastructure of government to become completely either fallow or dysfunctional or just the opposite of what they should be doing. They're not protecting. I'll give you an example. And I don't mean to be talking. You have these people in the New York City subway who were looking away while this individual had been arrested 42 times, assaulted women three different times, have been doing all these things. And again, his fate is not one any of us wanted. And I guarantee you that um, Mr. Penny, Daniel Penny, the Marine, didn't want that to happen. He's trying to restrain him. But that's because the government has not just abdicated their responsibility. They are purposely inflaming these things. Yesterday, I left my office at about eight o'clock. And, you know, the streets were actually pretty active along Euclid Avenue. And there were five thugs harassing uh, a, a young couple. Now, I will tell you that for a while, I was thinking, I'm just going to pass, get to my car, go home. I, I couldn't do it. I said some choice things to these thugs, and they were startled. It's not my job, Bob. It's not your job. It's not the job of that couple or anybody else. It should be the job of the government, first of all, to be so uh, on top of things that they deter that type of behavior. So those thugs would never even think about coming downtown and harassing people. But second, to finance the police so there would be a presence there. We, what are we paying taxes for? What the heck are we paying taxes for when we can't even exercise the fundamental privileges of being a citizen of the United States of America? It's a shame. It's an abomination. And that's what leads to what happened. When citizens Mm -hmm. have to take matters into their own hands instead of a transit cop or a New York City cop or anyone else, because we've defunded the police, we have let, we've gotten into decarceration. We have let criminals onto the streets. We have gone absolutely batty. And China's looking at us. Other nations are looking at us and going, what the heck is going on? Our allies are concerned because they could no longer count on a country this dysfunctional to protect the interests of the entire peaceful world. And by the way, Bob, just an aside, as you know, I love my stats. We talked about, and this is completely off topic, goes back to the previous topic. We talked about this huge invasion at the southern border. Keep in mind that we're talking about at least two and a half million people coming across. Mm -hmm. In 1939, September, when the Germans invaded Poland, there were a total of 1.5 million troops that invaded We've got far more than that coming across the southern border, and we're going, eh, no big deal. Well, you know, you're asking for trouble, though, when you make that comparison. You know, the the idea that, you know, it was the Nazis who invaded Poland. It wasn't, you know what I mean? And to compare all of the migrants and all of the, uh, you know, even though we know the the terrorists, you talked about those numbers earlier on as well, and we know the gang members and we know the cartel members and we know the smugglers and the traffickers and so on and so forth. You're going to get yourself in trouble when you make that comparison. 
Bob, more of us need to get in trouble. And I'm not going to be cowed <laughs> by the politically correct media. That's how they win. I have nothing against the people who are coming across the border personally, okay? It's mm-hmm. the function of our government to secure the border, and they've allowed so many people to come across that border. Many of them, most of them probably fine people, but we've got hundreds of thousands of criminals, drug traffickers, terrorists coming across the border, drugs coming across the border that kill up to 100,000 Americans a year, and our government is not just not preventing it, they're encouraging it. They're, they're facilitating it. They're processing people. They're giving them food and shelter and transportation. This is insanity, and we have to say it over and over again, and don't allow the people who are allowing the destruction of the United States to cow us from saying things like that. Very well said. Peter Kirsten, now we've got time for one more topic. And I want to, this one is a familiar one, but it's a different area this time. We've talked about meritocracy versus um, uh, uh, racial preference, gender preference, and so on and so forth when it comes to uh, things like uh, uh, admissions to colleges and even medical schools, which is which is astounding. But now we're talking about our military. The U.S. Air Force had to abandon an experiment that they had undertaken uh, with the goal of boosting pilot training graduation rates for women and minority pilots after the 2021 initiative failed to achieve the intended results. As part of the military-wide effort to promote diversity, which again matters more to our U.S. military than uh, competency, than, than ability, than meritocracy, The 19th Air Force commanded near San Antonio clustered racial minorities and female trainees into one class dubbed America's class to find out if doing so would improve their graduation rates. Not only did it fail to boost minority and women candidate success rates, but officers involved said that they were uh, ordered to engage in potentially unlawful discrimination by excluding white males from the class. Pete, I don't know what I'm more angry about, that again, they're excluding white males that might have been more qualified for positions in these classes to become Air, uh, Air Force uh, pilots or whatever whatever positions they were going for, or the fact that our military is willing to sacrifice our nation's security by putting less competent people in those positions. Your thoughts? Go to the top. Millie, Austin, Biden, and this is the consequence. Elections matter, and the people who then appoint people after the elections, that also matters. And this is what we're getting. Um, Let's take a look at what's going on. And, I mean, I think your entire audience is probably sick of this topic, sick of the whole diversity, equity, and inclusion agenda. Equity means mediocrity. Equity means racism. Equity means discrimination. Equity means lower standards. We're doing this. It used to be that we said, okay, well, you know, it's just in things like, you know, that really don't matter. We don't really care about that. But now they're lowering standards in medical schools. They're lowering standards in engineering schools. This has real world consequences. When you have airlines, and I've written to these airlines as a member of the Civil Rights Commission about it, and you know some of them have changed, or at least they, they, that we think they've changed, but they had announced a couple of years ago that they're going to try to boost the number of minority pilots by you know getting more people uh, in pipeline, and their effort to do so meant that they lowered their standards. Well, in addition to being unlawful, violating anti-discrimination laws, how insane is this? Who wants to get on a plane when the chief criteria for piloting the plane is how much melanin you have in your skin? This is sheer insanity. And people need to stop. 
start saying, no, people have been saying it, but more of us have to be saying it and not be cowed by what these insane bureaucrats and others who've been pushing this stuff on us have been saying. We can't allow this to happen. The Chinese are eating our lunch because we're so focused on skin color versus merit. And in terms of diversity, Bob, again, I hate to pull rank, but yes, I have been on the Civil Rights Commission for a heck of a long time, and we've had hearings and studies on this, and I'm still waiting for somebody out there to tell me, point to one study, just one study that shows um, diversity by itself improves productivity, improves outcomes, improves efficiency, improves qualities, and also that diversity in and of itself reduces or ameliorates racial tension. No such study exists. There are studies that show the opposite, in fact. When, uh, about 25 to 30 years ago, I thought we had reached a point where we were starting to get into what Martin Luther King, Martin Luther King's dream was all about. And we were doing pretty well. And if you, in fact, you could take a look at the Gallup polls, the annual Gallup poll with respect to the state of race relations. About 20 years ago, both blacks and whites thought it was pretty darn good. And now it's at the worst level it's been since Gallup has kept those stats. And there's a reason for that. It's coincidental, or you think it may be coincidental, that with the rise of DEI, we've had more and more racial friction and sensitivities. Of course you would. You put people on, there, there are studies that show this, especially with respect to in the private sector, when they've got these DEI initiatives, people come out being more racist than they were when they went back in. And when you emphasize race, what do you think is going to happen? We are being governed, unfortunately, by the worst class of so-called elites we've probably had in our entire history. Of course, I haven't done a complete study on this, but just take a look at some of these outcomes. They are horrendous. I mean, I'll give you one bad one in terms of elites. It was a Harvard grad who came up with the Bud Light Initiative. How you could, you could walk out onto the street and say, hey, I got this idea for Bud Light, and just the average bloke out there would say, are you nuts? But not the Harvard grad. But this is the kind of so-called thinking we have among our elite class, classes these days. And your listeners know it. I hear from them all the time. They're frustrated. They're, they, they don't know what's happening to the United States of America. But I'll tell you what's happening, as Victor Davis Hanson has said. We are seeing the deterioration of the United States, the implosion of the United States as we speak. Victor Davis Hanson is very pessimistic about this, and he's a historian. He's not like me. He's a smart guy who knows his stuff. And he draws parallels to so many other previous circumstances where great powers have imploded upon themselves. And I love this country with a passion, as does your entire listening audience. And we don't want this to happen. We think that the great people of the United States would protect this great country and not permit this to happen. But you know what? We may be on to the point of no return, despite all the great people out here. When you have huge numbers of people in, in New York who have been the victims of crime, or New Yorkers have been the victims of crime, but nonetheless, you've got a class there that wants to have a Marine put in jail because he did what Alvin Bragg's people would not do. You know we've gone seriously off the rails, and you wonder whether or not we can take it back. Yeah, well, I, I don't wonder that, to be honest with you, Pete. I, I kind of am coming to the place of where I am accepting that, no, we cannot take it back. What we can do is maybe minimize the damage, uh, because I, I, I feel like we've crossed the Rubicon. 
and I and I don't mean to be negative or pessimistic. And I sometimes I bounce back and forth between optimism and uh, and pessimism. But I but that's kind of way I'm feeling right now. When I watch what happened in Texas, for example, this latest mass shooting where a Hispanic guy Mauricio Garcia could not be more Latino um, is a white supremacist. It's like calling Larry Elder the black face of white supremacy. Right. Uh, right. You know, and and they're focused. They're focused on that motivation. I mean, and it's all over. Literally, you cannot click on or turn on one media outlet right now that isn't talking about the motive and the white supremacist views of this particular shooter. Yet, here we are just two months removed from the Nashville shooter, the trans-national shooter. They have the the manifesto in their possession, and they refuse to release it. They don't want to know the motive there, because the motive there is going to get in the way of the narrative, Pete. Yep. The fact that they haven't released it tells you everything you need to know. We don't need for them to release it anymore. We know exactly what's in there, don't we? We know precisely what's in there. But you're right with respect to the, you know, the um, uh, so-called Hispanic white supremacist. This is the kind of lunacy. Bob, when they can manipulate the language the way they've been doing, and again, totalitarian regimes have done this from time immemorial. They manipulate the language, black is white, up is down. Pretty soon, they manipulate virtually everything, and we begin to accept it. We don't want to fight against it. It's too exhausting to have your guard up, your mental guard up constantly to battle against the insanity that they're foisting upon us. The fact that they, I'm going way off track, but the fact that they foisted Biden on us, they're trying to tell us that he is capable of, you know, heck, combing his hair, let alone being president of the United States. It's it's extraordinary. You mean lubing you mean lubing the plugs? <laughs> My goodness. Uh so we need to you know, I, I know there is a considerable amount of despair out there that it doesn't appear as if we can as you just said, that we can get it back, that it appears and it's true that the left dominates every major institution in this country. Uh people I hear, you know, kind of a yawn when you talk about a pending Hunter Biden uh, investigation and indictment, like, oh, yeah, right, what's going to happen there? Nothing's going to happen. People are dispirited. They no longer believe in the system. We can't allow that to happen. It's just like, you know, that great movie, The Wild Bunch, at the very end, they have that massive shootout in slow motion, hundreds of people being shot. It was amazing. And Ernest Borgnine is standing next to the Gatling gun with William Holden facing down literally thousands of Mexican troops. And what does he say? Fight. Fight. Clearly, they're overwhelmed. There's only a few of them against 5,000 Mexican troops, and they're still fighting. And that's the way I feel we conservatives must be like when we witness what's going on with our country. We have to fight no matter what. Peter, I wasn't going to do this because we're a little short on time here, but just take a minute or two to respond to, uh, I don't know if you heard this or saw this, but Joe Biden did an interview in which uh, the interviewer was uh, doing nothing but, uh, what is her name? Uh, um, oh, for crying out loud, I can't remember. I played the clip yesterday. Uh, but but uh, but the uh, it, rule, Stephanie Rule is who it was. Um, was talking about all the wonderful successes he's had and all of the great victories, the big wins that he has had, and she cannot understand why his polling and his approval rating is so low. It is at the worst of his presidency, and it happened right after he announced he was running for re-election. How can that be? And his response was, well, because of all of the negative media coverage. He literally blamed the negative media coverage yeah. for the last three years. Anything time you turn anything on, it's all negative. For crying out loud, the fawning, water-carrying press for Joe Biden, 
he says hasn't been nice enough. Otherwise, and, and that's the reason why his approval rating is so low. Yeah, Response. up is down, black is black is white. That's our media today, and um, unfortunately, he is such a disaster. D- despite their failure to cover him in even a marginally neutral way, the fact that they haven't covered things, they purposely don't cover things. He has the lowest approval rating of any president in history at this point in his presidency. So consider if we had a press that was honest and transparent where he would be. This is, a, you know, the, the press has besmirched themselves. Nobody's buying any of their stuff anymore. And for good reason. They have abdicated their primary responsibility, and that is to inform the American public in a truthful fashion. Instead, they've become propagandists. And for all those folks out there, some of those folks from Eastern Europe who I've met in your audience, folks who've come over from Cambodia or Korea, they see this, they know what's going on, and they know it requires us to be vigilant and fight against it. What we are seeing right now is the kind of things that those folks escaped from. We cannot permit it to happen. That's why I say fight, 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 fight. Peter Kersenow, ready to fight, always, my friend, and I will go to battle with you any time and every time. And by the way, cheap shot at you making fun of Biden not being able to comb his hair, looking at yours. Pete, thanks much, my friend. <laughs> Take care, Bob. <laughs> Talk to you soon. Ten <laughs> Yes, it is. <laughs> yeah, but you didn't take the shot. Kersenow did. When you don't, when you don't have to work that brush and get it looking just right, when all you got to do is wake up every morning, look in the mirror, and say, good to go. Uh, <laughs> You've got to take it easy on the others. Uh, Fun stuff, uh, but important stuff as well. We'll be right back. All right, 10.58. Great conversation with Kirsten. If you missed it, you you shouldn't have. But the good news is you can make up for that. You can go back and listen to it again on the podcast page at whkradio.com. About an hour after the show or so, it usually gets up uh, posted up there for you. Share it with others who you think might need to hear it. Also, if you missed the interview in hour number one with Chris Long, uh, president of the Ohio Christian Alliance, <clears throat> Chris Long shared some very important news with us with respect to the... Um, Inner workings of House committees in an attempt to get that August 8th special election greenlit. Tomorrow is the deadline. And according to what uh, Chris uh, reported uh, from what he had learned, uh, it is poised to be on the agenda for the committee today. And let me see if I can just read it real quick here, because I'm going to set up the conversation I have coming with Frank LaRose. Um the Rules Committee has put the 60% Constitution Amendment increase on the agenda. Uh, call your state representative now and tell them to vote for the amendment increase and for the uh, amendment to have it on the August ballot. Both of those have to go through. So that was huge. And if you missed that, you should hear that also. Again, it's going to be at the, uh, the podcast uh, page at whkradio.com. Frank LaRose is the Secretary of State. And he is being hammered over this issue by some former attorneys general of Ohio and former governors as well. He's going to talk about that as well as his support for closing Ohio primaries. He'll join me next right here on Always Right Radio AM 1420, The Answer. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by The Floor King and KeepingMedicareSimple.com. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? 
Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. This is Always Right Radio with Bob Frantz on AM 1420, The Answer. Hour number three is underway now. Thanks for being with us still at 10 minutes after the hour of 11 o'clock. It's the ninth morning of the fifth month in the year of our Lord, 2023. Thanks to Peter Kersenow. A lot of very brilliant wisdom imparted upon us by uh, Peter. If you missed that conversation or Chris Long earlier this morning, you can catch those on the podcast page at whkradio.com. It's my privilege now to welcome back to our program the Secretary of State here in the great state of Ohio, Mr. Frank Loros, about a couple of very important issues that are coming up uh, faster than you might realize. Secretary LaRose, good morning. Good to have you again. How are you, sir? I'm doing well, Bob. i got to be honest. You got my blood flowing with that uh, speech from the Gipper just now. That's, uh, boy, that's incredible. Every American should re-listen to that every few months. That's why we play it every day at the top of our third hour. I want everybody to hear it. Maybe if they're not a regular listener, just a sometime listener, they tune in and catch that. And it should inspire all of us, so I'm glad it had the desired effect on you. Wow. Thanks. Powerful stuff. Powerful stuff. Secretary LaRose, uh, a couple of huge issues here, and I'm just going to dive right into them. The first one, of course, is the deadline. You, of course, sent that deadline to uh, the Speaker of the Ohio House, Jason Stevens, over a week ago. Uh, it was learned, and uh, we, this has to happen by, by May 10th. If we're going to have a vote in the Ohio House to add a special election in August in order to undertake the question of the threshold for changing the Constitution to 60%, it's got to be done by tomorrow. What is your um, awareness right now about where that stands? Yeah, and that wasn't something I dreamed up. That's what the law says, 90 right. days before any election. And so um, this is something I've been talking with both House and Senate leadership about about for a while and, and the members. So we just wanted to make sure that they had that in writing so there was no, no doubt about it. I actually just came from the State House. I was meeting with the Senate president just now. I've been in constant communication with the House Speaker as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my understanding is that... Um, you know, things are progressing, maybe in fits and starts, but still progressing in the Ohio House of Representatives to get this voted on. Um, that is my hope. And as you know, this is not a new idea for me. This this idea of protecting our state constitution against intervention by, you know, whatever out-of-state special interests may want to try to engrave their pet projects into our constitution. This is something I've been talking about for years, and I brought it up in fact, was on your show talking about it last year. Uh, I was hopeful that we could have gotten it done last year so it could have been on the ballot for the May election that we just concluded, Right, uh, but that didn't happen. So the next opportunity to do this would be in August, and I hope the House and the Senate choose to act. So I do, too, and, and I'm glad to hear you say that, but I want to ask about the pushback that you're getting, because I agree with you the way you just framed it, too. We need to protect the Ohio Constitution for Ohioans and keep it safe from uh, out-of-state special interest groups who would uh, you know, deem to tell us how to run our state, number one. Um, 
but then the other side is, you know, they're they're coming after you and saying, what's wrong with democracy? Why are you attacking democracy? Whatever happened to majority <laughs> rules? They like that 50% plus one. And I'm sure you realize, Secretary LaRose, because they sent a letter to you, as I understand it, five former Ohio AGs and four former governors all say that you're wrong on this, that we're wrong on this, that we should uh, leave uh, leave the threshold at 50% plus one. Yeah, this is the kind of hyperbole that you get when the media is largely controlled by leftists. Thankfully, there are clear conservative voices like yours out there in the media landscape as well, though, stating the facts on this. And the fact is, Ohio is a national outlier when it comes to amending our Constitution. Now, of course, as you know, we don't have a direct democracy. We have a representative republic. And what that means is that we elect our leaders to go down to the state capitol and to make our laws for us. Of course, all power originates from the people. The only power that government leaders have comes from the consent of the governed. But the way that we have organized our government, smartly, is that the day-to-day work of legislating is done by our state legislature. Now, something as impactful, something as long-lasting as an amendment to our Constitution should be handled with even a higher level of care. And this is where, again, Ohio's an outlier. There are only 17 states in the nation out of 50, only 17 states allow a, 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 a process where a citizen initiative can create a constitutional amendment. In most states, it has to be done by a, a constitutional convention or by the state legislature. So only 17 states allow citizens to initiate a, a, an amendment to the Constitution. And of those 17, the majority of those states have protections in place, such as in the state of Florida, where it takes 60 votes to pass a constitutional amendment. In the state of Nevada... A constitutional amendment has to be on two consecutive elections. It has to be in front of the voters twice. You actually have to win two times to amend the state constitution in those states. And, of course, the U.S. Constitution requires ratification by 75% of states. Something like a constitutional amendment requires a higher level of care than a simple bare minimum, which is subject to demagoguery and, 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 and groups spending a bunch of money to try to fool the voters on something. Uh, it's time that Ohio has the same kind of protection to play. Yeah, I think that's very well said. Very well. I did not know that, by the way, about which state was it that you have to win twice? You have to have two straight elections? The, that... the, the state of Nevada. Nevada. Any constitutional question has to win twice. And again, there is a variety of, of ways that states protect, protect against this kind of thing. And as far as these uh, you know, senior statesmen and women that have weighed in on this, listen, I, I value and honor their service to our state. Uh, but um, they're wrong on this. They're, they're, they're dead wrong. I don't know who's in their ear when it comes to, to this, but um, they're siding with uh, with the far left on this one, and it just doesn't make any sense. No, I completely agree with that. You know, the, the one thing that I and will stay on just the the actual. Um, um, ballot initiative for a second here. They need to get 400 and some odd thousand, I don't know what the number is, you do as Secretary of State signatures to get this on the ballot. Yeah. Uh, is there any way, I, I suppose I already know the answer to the question, but I get so frustrated because I've had people reporting to me, I saw them at various locations soliciting signatures. They're not telling the truth about what they're asking people to sign. They're asking people questions like, do you support women's health? We have a bill here to support women's health, will you sign? And in their mind, they're saying, well, we believe that a lot abortion on demand is 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 women's health it's a women's health issue it's not an abortion issue and so they're getting signatures i think under false pretense but but i don't suppose there's anything that can be done about that well it, it's difficult right because you would need sworn statements from both parties and it's very it's very difficult to investigate that i will say that uh, thankfully and we 
talked about this. Uh, my office now has what we call the public integrity division that includes an election integrity section, folks that are uh, trained law enforcement officers that can investigate these kind of things. Of course, when these petition signatures get turned in, we will scrutinize those at each of the 88 county boards of elections to make sure that the signatures match the signatures on file. That's a process that we take very seriously. Um, and when we find people that have been um, violating the law and conducting uh, election fraud, then we're going to work with county prosecutors and with the Ohio Attorney General's office to make sure that those people face justice. But when it comes to a petitioner, a guy with a clipboard out on a sidewalk misrepresenting what's on the clipboard, that's very hard to prosecute. Now, I will say this. The, the burden is on the on the, the signer, the, the citizen who is looking at that, because that clipboard should have on it a copy of the amendment that you're actually signing and, and a copy of the language and, and all of those kind of things. And so before you ever sign a petition, you should do your, your, your investigation of what it is that you're signing and not just take whoever is standing there in front of the mall with the clipboard, uh, take their word for it. That's a great point. You're right about that. It is. It is up to the individual who is signing to do that. But like I said, they just get persuaded very easily by by misleading language by described, even if it's in writing. Most people, it's a sociological study, I suppose, in the making. Most people don't want to take the time to read. They'd rather have somebody explain it. Can you give me the gist of it? What's it say? Oh, okay, great. I'll sign that. And away they go. That's unfortunately uh, just the way it is, I think. Uh, we're talking with Ohio Secretary of State Frank LaRose, and we're talking about the potential special election in August, the importance of getting that passed out of the Ohio House in order to have that election and then winning that election to raise the threshold to amend the Ohio Constitution from 50% plus one to 60%. So let's go back to what it's going to take in August. Um, Reading from the, let's see who wrote this one, it's uh, the Center Square, I think. During last year's session, with LaRose's support, Republicans passed and Governor Mike DeWine signed into law that ended special elections across the state. You're being called a hypocrite. You supported that, and now you want to undo that. How do you respond to those folks? Yeah, let me explain this very clearly, because, again, this is the problem when the leftist media gets to set the narrative and set the agenda. We should not accept their framing of, of this issue. Here's what we did last year, and this is something that the election officials and in a bipartisan way, people around the state have been saying for a long time that we should do. It is a good uh, improvement in public policy to eliminate every August opportunities for taxing jurisdictions to have special elections. That's what we did last year. We said going forward, there will not be an opportunity every August for school levies and for sewer district levies and for park district levies to be snuck in when no one is paying attention. That is something that um, I stand by and was uh, very glad that we were able to get done. Very different from that, however, is that the state legislature has always had, for 220 years of Ohio's history, the ability to set the time, place, and manner of elections. Now, at their discretion, they could hold an election in December. I would advise against that. That would be a foolish idea. But the state legislature could hold an election whenever they want to. That is their authority in the Constitution. And for them to say, we want to have an August special election to decide this constitutional question is completely consistent with what we did last year and in no way is uh, hypocritical when, you know, what we did last year was eliminate as a regular course of operating a normal business uh, every year, year after year, the ability for local jurisdictions to have an August election. One other thing about this, Bob, one of the reasons why we eliminated these school levies in August and these, these park levies in August and whatever other levies people could dream up 
is that they often flew below the radar. Most people didn't know until their tax bill went up that this had even happened. Contrast that with a statewide question to amend the Constitution. This will be a big topic of conversation this summer. There will be probably millions of dollars worth of television ads. There will be a lot of discussion about this. You will have to be living in a cave to not know that there is a constitutional question in front of the voters this August. It will not fly below the radar like a local tax levy does. Uh, that's a great explanation, and you're right. The, the language and the narrative is shaped by the left wing media, and they don't give you they don't give the context. They don't give all of the specifics you just did when it comes to these kinds of things. Um, Secretary Loros, the other big issue I wanted to bring you on to talk about was the idea of closed primaries. I've been angry since last yeah. May. Well, I think before that, but last May it was just very egregious when uh, left wing uh, websites like the Daily Coast and the Daily Beast and others were on there, literally telling Ohio Democrats, "There's nothing on the ballot for you to be worried about." on our side, pull a Republican ballot and vote for those who are most like us. And they literally specifically defined Governor Mike DeWine and uh, and uh, Matt Dolan in the Senate race, saying they would be the most like us or the most amenable to our way of thinking, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Now, without wanting to disparage anybody, even though I have disparaged both of those individuals in the past as being too Democrat-like, the fact remains it's not up to Democrats who the Republicans run. Um, we need to close the primaries. We need to close them now. I was very, very glad to hear that you spoke to a uh, to a Republican. Republican group just uh, last month in which you you basically answered a question to saying yeah we should close the primaries can you tell us more about why you believe that to, to, to be the way to go yeah 100 percent. and again this is not a newfound issue for me i drafted a bill when i was in the state legislature that would do this at the time there was um it was rejected by by both parties and and so uh, you know it, it was clear that it wasn't going forward but it's time that we revisit this issue parties be it the Ohio Democratic Party or the Ohio Republican Party, have an interest in making sure that they can conduct a primary uh, and it's only members of their party that are participating. Now, let's let's think about something here. A primary really isn't a public election in the sense of, uh, you know, elections to choose who's going to take office. A a party primary is a party election. And this is not uh, widely done, but in some states, they don't even have a party primary. They have a convention. They will all get together in a convention hall and they will choose who their party's standard bearer is. Really, it's an opportunity for the state's Republicans and the state's Democrats to choose who they want to represent them on the general election ballot. And so in that sense, both parties have a vested interest in making sure that there is no game being played with their primary. Now, in the past, this has been something that people had always talked about. We remember uh, Rush Limbaugh's uh, Operation Chaos in the 2006 election, and we, we, you know, things like that have popped up over the years, but they generally didn't amount to much. It was on the margins; it was a fraction of a percent or whatever else. But it's starting to become a thing that that that, that people want to do. And it's Ohio again, as it was with the constitutional amendment. Ohio is an outlier when it comes to not having a closed primary. I think it's 36 states that require you to register in advance as a member of a party before participating. In Ohio, you get to choose on election day. On the day of the primary, you walk into your polling location and they say, would you like to vote in the Republican primary or the Democratic primary? It's long past time that we address this. I've been working with a group of conservative leaders in Ohio, people like Jim Renacci, people like Tom Zawistowski, who are also very supportive of this. We've drafted up uh, some legislation, and we're talking to members of the legislature right now about uh, co-sponsoring that and getting it done. I think it's a conversation uh, that, that needs to be had uh, to prevent 
the kind of tactical voting that, that uh, activists from one party may engage in to try to interfere with the other party. The uh, legislators you have spoken with, have they been receptive to this? Does it seem like this is something that there's a, there's a, a move toward? Yeah, absolutely. The problem is when something's been done the same way for a long time, people just start to accept it as the way that business is done. But when you show them that Ohio does it very differently than most other states, most other states do require you to make that decision in advance. And people, of course, are free to change parties, and thank God they are. Look at the demographic shifts that we're having in certain parts of the state where moderate you know, labor households that had voted Democratic for years are now coming over to the Republican side. People are, of course, free to change, uh, change party affiliation, and that's a good thing. But uh, allowing them to make that decision at their polling location on Tuesday <laughs> when they show up to vote is, is problematic, and it's something that we should address. And we should be in the mainstream with other states in the country that require you to make that decision about which party you want to affiliate with well in advance of election day. Yeah, completely agree, and I would suspect almost everybody listening to us right now would agree with that. I hope they will make their voices heard to those legislators so we can get something drafted and get into a committee and get it out there because it really, really needs to happen. Uh, Secretary LaRose, last question for real this time. I would be remiss in doing my job if I didn't ask you this question. Bernie Moreno has declared. Matt Dolan has declared. Will there be any such declaration coming from you anytime soon vis-a-vis the United States Senate race? So I'll tell you, it's something I'm working toward, and there's a big reason why. I'm concerned about the future of our country. You've heard for years this is the most important election of your lifetime, and it's been true. But we're looking at a situation in 2024 where we need to stop the irreparable damage that's being done by leftists, specifically at the federal level. And Sherrod Brown is chief among them. He does not share Ohio's values. He is somebody that is really among the most liberal members of the United States Senate, although he's carefully cultivated this uh, uh, fake persona that he's some kind of a moderate. Ohioans need to defeat him, and only by defeating him can we take back the Senate majority next year, which is going to be crucial, crucial to turning our country around. We need a battle-tested candidate that's ready to take share it on, somebody that knows how to win statewide elections. I certainly do. And so this is something I'm looking at as I've been traveling around the state. It's not a question of desire. My heart's in it. What I need to do is practically answer the question of, can I build up the kind of support that I need to make this happen? So far, it looks like yes, because I'm getting a lot of people that say they want to support me in a grassroots sense, a lot of people that want to support me financially. And so my hope is to be able to make an announcement on this soon and then focus on November 24 when we're going to defeat Sheriff Brown once and for all. I can't help but ask the follow-up. When you say soon, what are we thinking? A month, two months? Do you have a deadline in mind? Yeah, so as a practical matter, if anybody is interested in running for an office that important, they should probably make an announcement by this summer. And so that's something that I have in mind, uh, you know, looking at, uh, at getting the financial resources together, getting the grassroots support together. And my hope would be to, to make an announcement this summer. So when we pass Labor Day and, and get back down to business after summer break and kids are back in school and everything else, we're ready to hit the campaign trail and, and, and work all 88 counties, as I've always done in all of my elections for Secretary of State, for that matter. Message well received. Secretary of State Frank LaRose, a lot of important stuff on your plate right now. You can get this done, get the special election done, and get this thing passed, and then we can move forward. Thank you so much for updating us on all of it. We look forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks, Bob. Thank you, sir. That's Frank LaRose. Uh, we took it all the way to the news here. We're going to take a time out, get a news break. We'll come back. And if you've got thoughts, this will be your first chance to actually call today. <laughs> 216-901-0945. Right back. 
plucked her eyebrows on the way, shaved her legs, and then he was a she. She says, hey, babe, take a walk on the wild side. Said, hey, honey. Always Right Radio with Bob France on The Answer. So there you have it. That's kind of newsworthy, isn't it? We just literally uh, uh, made some news here. We got an, uh, an affirmation. Frank LaRose is running for the Senate. He's got to get some ducks in a row. He's got to get some funds organized. He's got to get some, uh, you know, some, you know, his team together. Whatever it is that involves setting up a campaign, as you just heard him say, it's going to take a little bit of while. But he said, typically speaking, yes, it needs to be announced by the summer. So he plans on doing it probably in early to midsummer. But yeah, Frank LaRose is going to be in. And I'm very, very curious now because of that. How do you feel about Frank LaRose versus Bernie Moreno versus, um, uh, Matt Dolan. So far, those would be the three that we understand, you know, who are uh, who are a part of this thing, who are going to be a part of this thing. So I'm curious. Do you like the idea of Frank LaRose? I think there's a lot to like about Frank LaRose for Senate. I also think there's a lot to like about Bernie Marino for Senate. We just had him on last week as he was uh, taking um, a very personal interest in the uh, in the Title 42 case and the extraordinary invasion at our southern border. He cannot stand like so many other uh, legal immigrants to this country. Remember, he's from Colombia. His first generation was brought over here uh, and, uh, you know, grew up here. And, uh, you know, so he comes from a family of immigrants. And most families of legal immigrants despise the notion of illegal immigration because it's hard to get here to do it the right way. And Bernie talked about that in uh, in great detail, and he knows what uh, the illegal immigration problem. It's not just the fact that these people are kind of cutting in line, if you will. I always use that comparison. Now that Cedar Point is open, uh, I'll go back to that one. You know, if you were waiting in line for two hours to get on, I don't know, pick your favorite ride at Cedar Point. But if you were waiting for two hours in line, and somebody else, right, you know, about five minutes before it was your turn, somebody else just walks up and cuts right in front of you and jumps onto the train and gets on that roller coaster, wouldn't you be just a little bit angry? You waited and did it the right way. You didn't just mash your way to the front and cut in front of people and knock them out of the way and break the rules and got your uh, your turn. You had to wait your turn. And uh, I just think that's a good way to do. It. And by the way. When somebody does something like that, what happens to them? When somebody cuts in front of all of the other people waiting in line to get on, uh, I'm trying to think of, I'm not a roller coaster guy. Uh, what's the, what's the big bad boy there? The top thrill dragster's gone now. What's the, what's the other huge one there? Um, I can't remember. I can't remember. Cause like I said, I don't do them very, Maverick is one of them, but Steel Vengeance is one. Yeah, there you go. What, what's the, what's the red one? Um, Ma- no, not the Magnum. Maverick, maybe Maverick, Maverick's one. John or Josh, I don't know if you're on or just talking to me, Josh. Um, okay, so yeah, Josh just reminded me of some of the Millennium Force, the Magnum, the Maverick. Anyway, point being, if you waited in line for two hours to get on that ride, and then somebody else cuts in front of you, first of all, you're livid. Second of all, what happens to that individual? They get bounced from the park. Line cutting is cause for removal from the park. I'm sure there are signs that say that. Right? Well, that's how our country used to be run. Line cutting is cause for removal from the country. You cross the river. You get smuggled in on the back of a hot truck. You do whatever it is that you do to enter this country illegally instead of waiting in line with the rest of the would-be riders. 
again making my metaphor work to the to the Cedar Point situation. You get caught cutting in line in front of those people who are waiting patiently to get their visas and to come here legally, you are being evicted from the park. It's how it ought to be. To say nothing of the crime, the drugs, the guns, the human beings that are smuggled and trafficked across. So anyway, that's a long way of long way of saying something I should have said much shorter, and that is Bernie Moreno is very, very strong on the issue of illegal immigration because uh, his family waited in line. And uh, so I like him. I like Bernie a lot. I do. I don't have much use for Matt Dolan. Personal opinion, don't have much use for, for Democrats. Sorry. Matt Dolan might you know, kind of try to disguise himself as a Republican, and he might call himself uh, you know, a moderate Republican. But to me, moderate Republican is just, you know, it's just, it's, uh, it's newspeak for Democrat. Moderate Republican is newspeak for Democrat. That's kind of how I feel about it. So I don't have a lot of use for Matt Dolan in this race. Maybe things will change. I highly doubt it, given his entire career and what he stands for. And not to mention what he did to our beloved Indians, he and his family. But I like uh, Bernie, and I like Frank LaRose uh, for Senate. I think this is going to be a very, very interesting primary. And here is the last thing I'll say about this, for now anyway, because this part's important. Close the damn primaries before that primary is held. Close the primary so that you and I and other Republican voters can decide whether it's Bernie Marino or Frank LaRose. If you're a conservative, if you're if you're a rhino, if you're a moderate, if you're a trans-dem, the way the tw- Gang of 22 was, then maybe you would look at Matt Dolan. But it should be up to registered Republicans only to make that decision. Close the primaries, as Frank LaRose was just describing. And, I, and again, I, I'll be truthful. When I asked him that question about where we are on that, he said he has already talked to a lot of people and a lot of other you know, influential people who are talking to uh, legislators who are drafting some sort of a piece of legislation to, to close the primary so we come more in line with the rest of the country and all of these other states. I mean, you heard what he said about uh, uh, Ohio being an outlier. Uh, it sounds like it's really, really, really early in the process, which means it's really, really, really a long way away from the finish line. I don't know that they have that in them to get it done quickly. I don't know that they have it in them to get a bill drafted and proposed and introduced to a committee and get out of a committee and get into a floor vote and so forth. I just don't know if they have enough time to do that by uh, by 2024. But, God, I hope so. I really do. I don't want Democrats crossing over, reading the Daily Coast and saying, you know, go over to the uh, Republican primary and vote for Matt Dolan because that's what they'll do. They did it already. When the Republican primary was held and you had J.D. Vance and you had Mike Gibbons and you had uh, Bernie, well, I think Bernie Moreno had dropped by that time. But you had this, uh, Josh Mandel, and you had this uh, group of Republicans, and they did. They went on, they they published specifically to their blue left-wing socialist audience and said, go into the Ohio primary, Ohio voters, Ohio Democrats, don't vote in yours, pull a Republican ballot, because we can live with Dolan as a senator. We can live with DeWine as a governor. They're more malleable. They're more likely to see things our way, and I'm paraphrasing what they said. But these are people that we can work with way better than having a true conservative in that seat, which I think they got. We got with J.D. Vance. And I think we could have had and would have had with Jim Renacci had they not gone over there and screwed around with this whole thing and supported Mike DeWine. Democrats have no business choosing our nominees. 
And when it comes to this particular center race, like I said, right now it's going to be, I shouldn't say right now, but very shortly it's going to be Bernie Moreno and uh, and Frank LaRose as two strong conservatives, I think, for that spot. And the Democrats will do everything they can to split that up and support my uh, Matt Dolan. And that's uh, that's something we cannot allow to happen. So uh, if you've got thoughts on that, I certainly welcome them. Obviously, we're out of time now, so we can't take any calls at this particular moment in time. But if uh, that's something you want to talk about tomorrow, we can certainly do that. If you missed the interview that we just completed with Frank LaRose, I've already asked our producers to uh, isolate that. It's going to be a separate interview. Share that. It's going to be a separate interview on the page at whkradio.com on our podcast page. You'll have the full show there, podcasted as always. But uh, that interview will be isolated. Share that with other Republicans and see what they think about Frank LaRose, particularly as he's leading as Secretary of State in the August election issue and uh, on the ballot initiative uh, in the uh, constitutional amendment issues. And like I said, in his run for Senate. So share that with folks who are interested. Uh, that's all the time we've got. Thanks to my guests, Chris Long and Peter Kersenow and Frank LaRose. Thanks to my team, Josh and Marianne and Marcy today. And thanks to you for listening. Be well, be safe, stay free. See you tomorrow. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.